When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach in downtown Santa Monica. Um, we got a beautiful day out here and hopefully where you are listening today. And we got a great show for you. We could have uh, one of Privacy's rock stars, um, Jules Polonetsky, um, is going to be talking to us about the right to be forgotten. A very important decision that came down from the uh, European Union High Court um, just this spring. And then in the second half hour, we're going to talk to um, the plaintiff's lawyer in, in a very important um, revenge porn case being brought about um, against Facebook that actually um, some of the leading commentators are saying um, raises some issues about Facebook that um, deserve debate. So we're going to be talking about that. But today is the anniversary of the signing of the Voting Rights Act. It's the 49th anniversary. And it's an act that came about after um, a march from Selma to uh, Montgomery was stopped at the uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma by um, Alabama state troopers, who then proceeded to pummel the um, protesters, which included um, now Representative John Lewis, who as a student at the time had his head split open. Um, and uh, it was all on TV, and the nation was shocked and horrified. Um, President Johnson spoke to a, a joint special uh, session of Congress in response and said, I speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of democracy. Well, the Voting Rights Act has been now turned 49, but unfortunately the Supreme Court recently um, curtailed um, some of its enforcement powers um, finding that when the law was reauthorized in 2006, almost unanimously, Congress didn't make sufficient findings um, to justify its, its ongoing restrictions. Um, Congress, the congressmen behind the bill, both the Republicans and Democrats, have vowed to um, reenact um, those sections and can do so in a way that complies with the Supreme Court's decision. But um, nothing has happened to date, and so. Um, as we approach the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, something that should be a celebratory moment, it actually could be um, a moment of um, call to action and an embarrassment that um, it, it no longer is um, what it once was. 
And um, having gone to Florida during the last election and worked the polls on voting um, issues, um, I, I can tell you that it, it, we need that in place. So, um, you know, a happy 49th to the Voting Rights Act. Let's hope it's even a happier 50th. But without further ado, I want to bring on uh, a friend and, um, and just the, one of the leading stars in, in privacy law, um, someone who's just really been a standout in the field. Um, he did great work, for example, when he was AOL's privacy director. Um, now he's with the um, Future of Privacy Forum. Um, Jules Polonetsky. Jules, welcome. Well, glad to be with you again. And uh, Jules, um, you know, we were talking offline about the European Union's um, decision um, holding that Google had to somehow delete um, provisions to – uh, under this kind of strange theory of a right to be forgotten, um, what's a, how would you can you concisely um, summarize really what the decision was of the European Court in that case? Well, you know, I look at this from a lot of different angles. You know, I spent uh, uh, quite some time as a chief privacy officer and had to deal with managing policy uh, for AOL's search, uh, which once upon a time was a very big search engine, and for many years when it wasn't the lead, it still um, was a leading search engine and used Google's search, and uh, even today it's a, a surprise how uh, significant the traffic is. And so dealt with it as an implementer who had to worry about uh, taking things down, dealing with uh, challenges to the results we received. And um, today, you know, at a think tank um, that has participation from not only a lot of the leading chief privacy officers around the world, but a lot of leading academics uh, and advocates, um, I get to maybe sit and try to see all sides of it. And I think it's easy to be sympathetic to the concern that I think the Europeans have, that I think many of us have, which is that uh, everything seems to be out there forever. Um, you do a, a search uh, and you see all kinds of personal information about yourself and you don't know why it's there. You can't get it down. Uh, sometimes it's embarrassing. It's wrong. It's awkward. Uh, and there seems to be very little that can, um, that can be done. Um, it's not true that there's nothing that can be done, right? If in the country you're in, if the information is illegal, if it's defamatory, if it uh, violates copyright, you can go to court uh, and you can get a decision that says uh, this ought not to be up. And Google and uh, Microsoft and Yahoo and the other leading search engines today get uh, orders from courts around the world saying uh, we have adjudicated this. Uh, and you need to take this down. This violates the law, and they're obligated to uh, to comply. Um, a number of years ago, you probably remember a case where the um, Jewish Student League of France um, brought an action against Yahoo because at Yahoo France, Yahoo France's auction site, there were Nazi items being sold. Yeah, that's against the law in France, uh, and they were able to get it taken down. Now, the interesting question was, could they then force Yahoo US to take it down or bar it when uh, French citizens came to Yahoo, and that uh, case ended up not being fully resolved. Um, and so this notion that, you know, when you're in a country, there are uh, pieces of content that, whether it's um, uh, a publisher or an auction house or something, that uh, we can weigh the merits, we can examine both sides. Um, why do you have a right to have this up? Why does the other side say it can come down? And uh, rule. And in Europe, that's been the law, right? And so in theory, this interesting case, the history of this case, of course, is a, um, a, a guy in Spain 
who evidently had uh, debts uh, earlier in his life. Uh, these debts were published in a, a in, in a local newspaper, uh, and they're up there. They're on the record. The newspaper has them there uh, as part of their job of making sure people, uh, you know, can uh, um, uh, have that information available as part of the public record. Uh, and it was showing up when you Googled, when you searched for this guy's name. Uh, this showed up, showed up fairly prominently. Uh, I guess he hadn't done any other, you know, very prominent things. Uh, this was a lead result of these old debts. Uh, the newspaper didn't want to take him down, and so he brought an action against Google. Uh, and the Spanish court found that uh, Google ought to take it down, and Google appealed this all the way up to the leading uh, court in the European Union, the European Court of Justice. Um, the court has a almost, uh, I won't say a solicitor general, because the solicitor general in the U.S., we all know, shows up and uh, argues the opinion of the government. Um, here, the court has a advisor, an advocate general, who does some of the legal lead work and analyzes the case and does the research and then presents an opinion to the justices uh, that here's what he recommends. And very often, they rely uh, in large part uh, on this legal expert's uh, opinion. And so the Advocate General published a very thoughtful analysis under European law uh, of whether there is a right to be forgotten that is being um, being alleged. Uh, you know, he noted that in the proposed new European um, data protection regulation, there is an effort to create uh, a, a right to delete of some sort, uh, which sort of implies that we don't have it today. Uh, but he went through a really interesting uh, analysis. And he looked at, first of all, who's responsible? Is it the publisher or is it Google? And right. uh, although he you know, held that certainly um, uh, the court could have jurisdiction over uh, Google, um, he you know, really raised some very interesting questions. Um, you know, if it is illegal, if Google is, is the controller of information, if Google is the publisher, what right does Google or any search engine have to publish this information in the first place? Maybe it's got to get someone's permission. Um, uh, you know, basically, it, you could argue there is no legal right to have a search engine uh, if you're going to argue that a search engine, by uh, searching around and finding personal information and then publishing it, needs to be a controller. In Europe, the controller can't just publish information about me personally. It's got to have a, a right and a basis to do so. Uh, and so he said, clearly, that can't be the case. There, that you, you, by definition, we'd be you know, barring the notion of search engines. You'd have to you know, opt in to have your personal information involved. He then went further and you know, really considered the fact that um, the court needed to consider both free speech as well as um, uh, the individual who wanted the information deleted. And he recognized that if Google was going to be making these decisions, who was going to be speaking up for the publisher? I mean, the right. publisher has a right to publish it, right? Maybe you're, you're a blogger. Maybe you're a, a media outlet. Um, and you believe that this is important information, right? You know that this guy is uh, considered a leading candidate for public office, even though he hasn't won yet. Or uh, you know other facts about uh, him. You're, you're writing a big investigation, and this is just one story. You know uh, the, your, your right to express. And then the people who search, you know, what about them? 
Um, right. They might be um, maybe a reporter looking to write a big story about someone who they think is going to be, you know, again, running for office or um, uh, investigating a whole collection of crimes. You, you don't know those issues. And if Google simply based on the request of somebody who isn't going to necessarily show up and tell you the whole story, uh, says, hey, take this down, um, um, uh, then by definition you are going to be vastly overblocking uh, or uh, violating uh, the rights of the individuals who need information and the individuals who publish it. So he recommended to the court uh, that they ought to deny this under European law, uh, that certainly he has a right to challenge this uh, at the place that it's published and say, this is not legal, it's excessive, it shouldn't be up there anymore, there's no reason for it up, and so forth. Uh, that's not new, uh, but the idea that Google should somehow be um, uh, uh, limited, um, he advised against. Uh, and the court, unfortunately, I think, without appreciating that the reason to critique this wasn't because uh, it didn't seem like a good idea, but the reason to critique it is that in implementation here, you can't implement something like this at scale without necessarily vastly overblocking. Um, I'll stop for a second, but let me give you one more um, uh, example. When I was at AOL, one of the areas that I helped um, uh, manage policy for was uh, our parental controls. And one day, we discovered to our chagrin that we were blocking all of U.S. Congress because of the Ken Starr, Monica Lewinsky report, which, uh, as you know, had some very salacious content about uh, some, you know, quite adult interactions and some very explicit, uh, you know, sexual um, material. And the, um, the very smart spiders, you know, which we spent tons of money uh, doing all kinds of tweaking and algorithm and had people reviewing, you know, flagged this as, as is, is inappropriate for uh, anyone under 18. And there we go. We blocked all of Congress, even though, of course, there was a strong, you know, reason to uh, make sure that uh, that is content that uh, should be available, uh, certainly to uh, uh, you know a wide audience. And so, well, I, I think today I there's probably that. I think today there's probably a lot of people who think you should still block Congress. But we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk get a little more detail about the right to be forgotten and what what the, the implications of this European Union decision really are. With Jules Polonetsky after these messages. Stay tuned. More of this. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. You've seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep. Get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answer you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, 
So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with Jules Polonetsky of the um, Future of Privacy Forum about the right to be forgotten. And Jules, if what... If this plays out as it's starting to play out, what is what does it mean really for um, you know the accuracy of search and um, you know is Wikipedia, for example, they're they're saying that in essence this is a a form of censorship. Um, you know, how how do you see this all playing out? Well, the challenge now is going to be whether um, this can be implemented in a way that at least. Um, deals with a bad situation in a way that doesn't make it worse. Um, the Europeans have written to the search engines and have said, um, here here are some thoughts we have on how to apply this. Um, uh, please respond to these questions. And uh, they seem to be irritated uh, or at least questioning uh, a number of key issues. One is, will this apply to Google.com or Yahoo.com um, uh, when Europeans come to the U.S. domains? Uh, Google's view has been uh, it'll apply in your local country, and you know what? They're going to apply it across Europe. Uh, if you're in Spain, they'll keep you out of all the European uh, search engines, the .de, the .eu, the .fr, right. .sp. Um, uh, but they do not want to apply it to Google.com. Um, and this is a really important point because, I mean, imagine if uh, China uh, said, uh, look, uh, you know, uh, we think uh, these stories uh, alleging corruption of our um, uh, loyal leaders um, right. are um, are offensive and uh, invasive of privacy. Uh, take it down. Well, if you do business in China, you gotta uh, uh, comply, and uh, if you don't comply, they'll you know block your search engine, and, and you can't be in the country. And that's the situation, obviously, with um, some of the U.S. companies in China. Uh, but if you then say, you know what, when someone from China uh, manages to get out of that Great Wall and manages to get to Google.com, uh, you gotta censor them too. We can demand that you censor content that is legal in the U.S. when. Um, uh, despots around the world or just irrational people around the world or people who don't maybe have the same particular appreciation for free expression um, and want to weigh you know, privacy higher even when um, there might be some strong right to publish, uh, that's really risky. And, and Google has uh, stood the ground on that, but it appears that the Europeans are, are questioning it and it's going to be important to really hold the line there. Uh, the second implementation issue, which is important, is that Google is telling the webmasters, right? So those publishers can can say, "Hey, ho, ho, hold on here. What do you mean? That, that guy said he's he's nobody. He's he's like the the, the king man in our town. Well, of course, right. we got to have this information about him." And Europeans seem to be the Article Twenty Nine Working Party group of privacy regulators seems to be a little skeptical. Uh, hey, Google, what kind of chutzpah is that? Well, you doing that to be provocative, uh, um, to kind of create an issue? Um, and Google's view is. Look, if we're going to censor, we're going to let you know. That's what we do today when uh, countries force us to not show results. Um, and what Google is also doing is they're putting 
some information on the page. Now, they won't tell you, hey, a research about Joe Green is missing here so that you could just go there. But it does say on the page uh, that certain results were not displayed because of you know, some legal reason. And so at least there was you know, some clue. Um, and that's being questioned by the policymakers in um, in Europe, and uh, that's where we are today. Um, Google, I hope, and Yahoo and MSN uh, will make the best of a bad situation by implementing it. Uh, they have appointed a committee that Jimmy Wells is on uh, that is going to at least advise them on what the right balance is. Um, but as you can see, major newspapers are being blocked. Um, uh, results on Wikipedia are being blocked. Um, and look, some of them are wrong, and that's the whole point. Right, they're, they're all going to be wrong. Right. They're going to challenge. Google's going to cooperate, um, and so we're going to have stuff going down that really is uh, essential and critical. So I think we're going to look back, and, and uh, we, we already see a bit of a backlash. The House of Lords in the UK uh, said that they think this is a, a bad decision. Um, it's not clear that there's any recourse anymore, um, but um, uh, hopefully uh, um, these search engines will at least make the best of a bad decision. Um, I, I do want to know, we probably should stop calling it the right to be forgotten or the right to delete. I mean, I grew up uh, learning um, uh, 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 to remember, to remember, right. you know, what happened to my forefathers in Germany, to remember, you know, my heritage. And it might be a great notion to say, hey, you can start again and, you know, forget your past and so forth. Um, and, and certainly there's, you know, a lot of room for that. Uh, but there's also um, a, a sense of accountability. Um, uh, and not everybody should escape um, uh, what they've done or said um, some of these things belong on our record, uh, and you know the way to deal with it is to generate uh, more context, to generate right. the rest of your life, so that you know you're not judged by one poor decision. And uh, if it doesn't show up at the top page of Google, well then uh, you know maybe nobody ever pays attention to it. So uh, this is going to go down, I think, in in um, uh, in, in an infamous uh, uh, place. And uh, I know some privacy advocates have been very supportive, but I think uh, as this plays out, uh, it's going to be clear that it's the wrong decision. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you just—we were talking offline just about you know you, 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 when you just take a cab to Capitol Hill and go by the National Archives, there are big letters is past this prologue, and um, you know this, these are this is information people have a right to know. Um, do you think a year from now this decision will will be intact? I don't know that there's going to be a good way to deal with it. I mean, the court has held that this is what current European law provides. I guess it's possible uh, that when the um, uh, new um, uh, data protection regulation, if and when the uh, European uh, countries are able to agree on new legislation, uh, that they uh, tweak and, and amend or, uh, or limit um, uh, the decision in some uh, in some manner, but other than that, um, there's certainly no uh, uh, method of, of appeal, and I think it's right now just a matter of trying to interpret the decision as uh, flexibly as possible, so that um, it can be done in a nuanced way and it can minimize the overblocking that is almost guaranteed to occur. I think that's the been you know the, uh, my my colleagues in academia or some of the our colleagues in the privacy advocacy community, I think, you know, reacting so strongly to this sense of injustice, there's just all this data out there and it's not fair and why should, you know, Google or other search engines, you know, be able to make money by, you know, showing these results. Um, but I think not sitting back and appreciating that 
um, search is how we navigate the internet. I mean, for some people, if you can't, you know, type it into that search bar, uh, you know, it's it's invisible. Uh, certainly for businesses, if you, if you don't show up in search, you know, you ain't there. Right, um, you're not there. So yeah. a, it, it really is a prime. It's not just this little gimmick of some way to make money uh, off of, uh, of search results. It's it's been the most powerful way to access information. Um, but I think they're not realizing that um, the nuance of how to apply it. Um, you know, there's some assumption that Google, they're so big, they're so smart, they'll hire people, they'll have technology. And you know what? I have faith that they will. You know who's really screwed? Google, Google will survive. They're going to make, you know, plenty of money this year. This is not going to Yeah, a hunch about that, terribly. too. <laughs> you know who's going to get hurt? The, the guy starting the next search engine, who right. is also subject to this decision, who now needs uh, a team of thousands uh, if he or she is going to somehow manage to handle uh, you know this entire set of information as well. They've limited. If they weren't happy in the, in Europe with Google's dominance of the search market, they've made it very hard for anybody else now uh, to pick up the compliance burden that is that is uh, mandatory if you want to get into the search business. That's interesting. And there's, there's been the recent decision in British Columbia directing um, Google to remove stuff not just from Google Canada but from Google.com, as you were suggesting earlier. Do you, do you think that's going to be a, a more litigated area in the future? That is going to be one of the big challenges um, in a whole range of areas as countries, including the U.S., you know, want to assert their rules uh, around the world. Uh, we do so with gambling sometimes. Uh, we, we do, do it with child porn. Um, we have Europeans who do it not just with privacy, but with um, other areas that impact freedom of speech. We mentioned the Yahoo case. Uh, and then I think Russia will be the big uh, player next. Um, Russia seems to be, you know, focused on making sure that the internet doesn't um, open up its society, um, and uh, that they've got, you know, the control they want. Uh, China, obviously, and so I think um, we may see privacy used as one of the arguments that countries make to uh, enforce um, their balkanized uh, views over. Uh, controlling their own citizens and forcing others uh, to also cooperate in their control of their citizens. I mean, and the Russian thing is kind of ironic because you know, there you have, you know, that's the base for basically the cyber malls of cybercrime. And, um, you know, they have this huge population that's very much connected to the end and is making money from it in very bad ways. And somehow to believe that um, censoring the Internet will, will protect the Russian citizenry. Um, is, yeah, and look, is, and let's not let the U.S. off the hook. I mean, uh, we, we, the U.S., are in the middle of trying to force Microsoft to cooperate with uh, handing over data about um, data that is in, in Ireland that Microsoft doesn't believe it uh, has to bring to the U.S. Uh, to uh, hand over. Um, uh, you know, in response to um, uh, a warrant, and uh, they're litigating that. So, you know, we um, want to have the long arm of our law. Um, we want to have our views about discovery. Um, we want to have our views uh, about um, whistleblower hotlines, right, all things that we think are very important, that right. employees be able to anonymously report corruption, even though that might violate local law in various countries where you know, whistleblowing means ratting somebody out to the, uh, you know, to the Gestapo or, or the Nazis or, you know, or, or, or you know, some bad actor. Um, that, that, that's a negative thing. And we say, well, no, our rules demand, uh, you know, that U.S. law, uh, U.S. notions, you know, apply. Um, I think we have some pretty good notions. It's not a bad thing that they apply globally. But I think, you know, other countries um, don't, don't see it that way. And uh, so this is going to be the next, the next couple of years are going to be very much about jurisdiction 
and uh, what you mean the internet is some free space that's not subject to national laws. Um, increasingly, countries have applied their taxes and their their other laws, um, and uh, now they're you know trying to deal with the, the ones that are most complicated. Uh, and uh, I think we're going to be debating this for quite some quite some time. I think so too. Now, Jules, we only have a few minutes left. Um, why don't you give us a little a brief description of um, your outfit and what, what's your next big uh, event? We are a not-for-profit. We um, are um, uh, we try to be the centrist voice in data protection, supporting both smart privacy as well as uh, optimistic about uh, new uses of data. Um, we're divided between um, uh, representation from chief privacy officers of many of the leading uh, big companies as well as small and uh, a lot of the leading privacy academics uh, as well as advocates. Uh, we primarily are working in five or six areas. It's usually about new technology and new issues, so we work on many things mobile, we work on lots of things, location. Uh, we're working with the auto industry on the issues involved with telematics. Uh, we'll be presenting at the September 15th FTC's um, uh, panels on uh, discrimination. Uh, we're almost done with a big report on how uh, big data, which of course can be used uh, to create discrimination, has over history often been used to combat and expose discrimination, to prove bias. And so let's deal with the problems of big data, but let's also recognize that for civil rights, uh, for proving that the death penalty might be applied in a, uh, a racist way, for proving that um, uh, uh, kids of different backgrounds um, aren't succeeding in schools and what we need to do to identify that and intervene. There's lots of ways that big data, um, you know, companies often talk about the new products and services, but it's been a core way to combat and identify discrimination, and we need to take that into account as we figure out the new ways forward. So we've got some new papers uh, coming out. And then finally, we um, just put out an interesting paper um, about education and ed tech, where there's obviously a big debate in the country about the proper role of technology to uh, advance education and, and, uh, and measure students and teachers, and we've got to get the balance right. So always great to talk to your audience about these uh, exciting issues. Well, um, from big data to big thank you, Jules. It's always been a pleasure having you on. And um, definitely check out the Future of Privacy Forum. It's futureofprivacyforum.org, correct? Futureofprivacy.org and um, at Jules Polonetsky for all kinds of tweets. All right, Jules. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And there's more Bye. information about Jules and the Future of Privacy Forum on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. Um, and so... Um, our next segment, um, we're going to talk about a new lawsuit that has been filed against Facebook um, involving a revenge porn and Facebook's fa failure to adequately address it um, on its website. And uh, um, we have with us, I believe, um, do we have him yet, Brasco? Um, David Altenburn of, um, from a Houston lawyer who has brought this suit that's getting quite a lot of attention. In fact, in today's, um, um, at least it was this week, um, in on Slate, um, Danielle Citron, who's one of the kind of thought leaders in the area of, of revenge porn, um, has made some made some interesting comments about that. And we'll be talking about that, and we'll have David um, after we take a short break. Um, you're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Stay tuned for of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. 
before you painstakingly create another label or drag yourself to the post office, set a course to ShipStation, your key to e-commerce shipping nirvana. Save time by easily importing orders from wherever you sell, like Amazon, eBay, and over 40 others. Save money with discounted USPS rates and a free USPS account. Automate manual tasks through bulk label and invoice printing, custom shipping rules, and much more. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at InternetMarketingNinjas.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and we're here to talk about a revenge porn case that's getting quite a lot of attention. Um, you know, the, one of the challenges in, in bringing a revenge porn case against the website publishing the revenge porn is the whole um, concept of immunity under the Communications Decency Act, that the, uh, they are immune for um, stuff published by third parties. But um, in the interestingly drafted complaint, um, our next guest asserts that um, Facebook is um, is what they are trying to do is seek full justice for um, the trauma inflicted, and they seek to expose quote the frailties and failures of the falsely advertised and falsely promoted privacy mechanisms of defendant Facebook, the largest social network in the world, and the significant damages that result to innocent individuals like plaintiff as a result of those frailties and failures that defendant Facebook's upper management. Officers, directors, and key employees have long known about and essentially conceded. The true natures of these frailties and um, failures in the system um, upon the unsuspecting innocent public. And um, in Slate, um, Danielle Citron, you know, one of the leading advocates in this area, said, um, spoke, you know, 
somewhat supportive of the complaint and said Facebook could have alleviated a lot of the plaintiff's frustration by actually responding to her when she first made contact. With great power comes great responsibility, and Facebook needs to improve its terms of service enforcement process by creating an official means of review that includes notifying users about the outcome of their complaints. And then that's a very valid complaint. But we have with us um, the attorney behind all this, David Alterburn, an attorney in Houston. David, are you with us? Yes, I am, and I, I listened to your nice introduction. I think it's a fair summary of part of our 14-page petition we filed on behalf of uh, my client, Miriam Ali, who unfortunately was the, the victim of a, a bad set of circumstances that uh, fall in the basket of what has become a bleeding-edge type issue called revenge porn. And, and actually, it's, it's a kind of a combination of revenge porn plus um, re- revenge porn plus the, um, what we call, sometimes called as e-personation. And uh, he set yeah. up a page, you know, on using her name and inviting her friends, and they land at the page only to find these, you know, these doctored pornographic images of her. Yes, yeah, what we call an impersonator or imposter site to put it in language that tends to be out there, where in this particular case, you've got accurate pictures or photographs of my client's face, unfortunately attached very artfully with naked bodies that are not the naked bodies of my client, Miriam Ali. And there's one photograph in particular that has my client uh, appearing falsely and in a derogatory fashion, of course, in a shocking fashion, in the middle of a sex act. So that's what's got my client, obviously, extremely, extremely upset. And she retained my law firm to prosecute her rights uh, in this significant arena of, of, of protection of privacy rights of individuals in our tech age, in our Internet age, in our Facebook uh dominates the world age. <laughs> well summed up in, in terms of the, the ages we are in. Now, um, so it appears that you, you recognize the, the Communications Decency Act immunity it obviously is a big hurdle for you. And so, well, um, go ahead. I, my, my only comment there is, is this. This is such a cutting-edge issue. Let me just digress briefly and quickly to hopefully have some impact with your listeners on what we're talking about here. The first case of its kind to reach a jury trial verdict occurred in Houston, Texas within the last year, and a lady, uh, I believe, got 500000 if I'm not mistaken. It is such a growing issue that we've gone from two states only that had criminalization for this type of activity, revenge porn. Now, that covers a couple things. The traditional revenge porn is where uh, consenting adults take photographs, naked photographs, let's say, uh, other uh, sexual activity-type photographs that are only intended to be kept between the two of them, only to find out after a breakup, usually a bad breakup with some anger and emotion and feelings behind it, one of those parties then decides to post those private photos publicly. Those are actual photos that went from a, a private consenting situation 
into a no-consent public display, and, and that's one level of claims. Here we have photoshopped naked bodies attached to my client's real face, but pretending to be her, which is false and derogatory. So there are now, in the last month, Two lawsuits, I think, have been filed, one for a million dollars, one for, I think, $11 million. The $11 million calls itself, or in the media, is portrayed as a class action, but that really is a misnomer. It's what we call a mass action, meaning there's individual plaintiffs, a true right. class action. A true class action has a representative plaintiff with commonality right. of fact or law. The reason you can't have a commonality of fact and law is because everybody's damaged for individuals. So right. we have an $11 million, we have a $1 million, and we have my case. My case is $123 million based on $0.10 cents per the subscriber base at the time of filing of 1.23 billion worldwide subscribers to Facebook. And so this is such a developing issue, but back to your question, that we have traditional doctrines or causes of action, let's call it. Negligence, gross negligence, intentional infliction of emotional distress, invasion of privacy, and we're in the process. We will amend the petition to formally put out there uh, the one that may be most talked about, which is defamation, the false derogatory uh, publications in, in that, that cause damage and the republication of that across the world through Facebook of, of that type of information and photographic images. And so we've got the immunity issue that, you're con that you've mentioned, but um, uh, this is an area the courts have to carve out, you know, and they have to carve out are you really going to let a worldwide, the largest social media network in the world that brag and boast about if you have an imposter site, an impersonator site, if someone puts a site up that pretends to be you and is not really you, just push a button, just contact Facebook in the sky, and they'll get that off promptly, quick. Right. So in, our case, in our case, we have multiple attempts over multiple months. Yes, you heard me right. Multiple attempts. We have a video, video attempt, videography attempt to get this off, only to get a thank you for requesting, thank you for responding, and it doesn't come down for four and a half months until the Houston Police Department issues a subpoena to Facebook, and then it comes out. So for four and a half months, there was no response whatsoever from Facebook? I, I can't say. I've been asked in the extreme, just like you did by local media on television broadcast this sure. past Friday. I cannot say no response because actually the response is the misleading response. A canned the, response. A canned response that essentially says we've received your request and we will act on your request. And hang like in we there. Say we yeah. Quickly. But guess what? The next day and the next week and the next month, those photographs and that setback are still up there incredibly, outrageously, without coming down. Right. Someone said the most valuable commodity in the U.S. should be this device known as a round to it, because everyone seems to be waiting till they can get one. And um, well, and, let me say another thing. You know, they say when I when you started with the strongest commodity in life, I thought you were going to say our name and reputation. You know, at the end of the day, when we're dead and gone, our name and reputation, our legacy. Right. Uh, my young client, who is a conservative Muslim. 28-year-old woman with an admittedly beautiful face. 
She's had to go through the shame and the embarrassment of every man that smiled at her at a distance, wondering if that man saw her and thinks she's that sex animal that's depicted. She's had to look at every woman that frowns at her and wonder, that woman think I'm that woman? Which well, she's clearly not. She had to worry about her father disowning her. She's in a religious situation. She met this man that's behind this. How do we know we think she's behind it? How do we think from a preponderance of evidence? Right. The subpoena came back to the house of where this gen- gentleman, uh, not so much a gentleman, yeah. okay, <laughs> the main defendant in our lawsuit, resided with his parents in a place of business where he worked. Now, my client only met this man in a religious gathering that's a once-a-year gathering for Muslims in America that occurred in Chicago, Illinois, where he, he, he resided in that area. He's attractive, cute, they packed and exchanged numbers. They communicated. He had an entourage of friends. He's a popular guy, a good-looking guy. He had been uh, a diagnostic or x-ray technician. My client had background in that employment. They connected. But there was a woman in his entourage who was, I think, a law student at the time. I think she's a lawyer now. Don't know if she's fully licensed to where she works and all that. But she was sending communications to my client along the lines of, aren't there enough men in Houston? What are you doing? Leave them alone. So my client confronts him. And kind of along the lines of, do you have a relationship with her? Has it been a sexual relationship? Why is she coming at me so strong? And he essentially said, fundamentally, no, no, I like you. There's nothing there. Uh, not what you think. And so my client came back. Uh, originally comes up and uh, uh, three months later comes back, two, three months later comes back with a girlfriend, stays in a hotel. Uh, there's some... Uh, you know, some kissy face and some uh, minor uh, interactions with her and this young man, but no form of sex, no form of sex, no intercourse, or nothing close. And he takes some pictures of her, she thinks, odd, because he doesn't really say, hey, I'm going to take a picture of you kind of thing. But she kind of passed it off. She liked him. Um, she goes back to Houston. She comes back again four or five months later alone, Meanwhile, she's being harangued and harassed in her mind from this other woman. And the guy had broken up with a long-term three-, four-year relationship, he said, from a girlfriend two months before they ever met originally. Um, When she comes the last time, Miriam Ali comes to Chicago, Illinois area the last time uh, to meet the name or see the name defendant. Again, they're similar. There's a a little bit of soft uh, uh, affection. That's it. Nothing more. And when she leaves, after that time, Miriam comes to the conclusion for a variety of obvious factors to outsiders looking in. Long-distance relationship, life's too short to put up with somebody that's kind of harassing you about it all. And she's wondering if he's telling the truth about their relationship or lack of relationship. And what about that girlfriend that he seemed to be communicating with the last time, the ex-girlfriend? And she thinks, well, maybe he's still in love with that girl or pretty strongly believes that he is. So the relationship breaks off until December 13th of last year. So five years ago, they're not even in a dating relationship, per se. And so is he behind it alone? Is he behind it with that girl who's going to now be his future wife, according to our investigation in the not-too-distant future? So this case has a lot to it, and so Miriam goes to the Houston Police Department before she ever contacts my law firm, 
um, and she made some other contacts to try to get this to stop. And all that's unsuccessful until the subpoena from Houston Police Department, and then my law firm gets involved, and uh, we filed this lawsuit. Has Facebook made any public comments on the suit? None that we know of. In fact, every article I've read, I've got both digesting every single There's been publications around the world. We've been contacted by New York, L.A. Uh, uh, there's publications in, uh, around the globe on this story. Uh, Inside Edition has contacted us, the local television station. I've done an interview like this, much shorter, for CPS Radio. But nothing Facebook, as prestigious as this show, right? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again. I said but, nothing as prestigious as this show, right? <laughs> nothing has, no, I, I, you're breaking up, I'm sorry, but no, nothing of this length, so we definitely appreciate this opportunity. Uh, the local television, you know, they interviewed for 25 minutes for a minute or a minute and a half, but right. uh, they ran they ran short, impactful stories. And consistently what I've read until today, and I must say that I've not looked today or had input from my outside team that's helping me on this case today, but uh, to my knowledge, there's been no comment whatsoever by Facebook today. And when's their answer due? Well, they need to get served. I mean, we just oh, filed this okay. case. Listen, listen for a second so the listeners know. We just filed this case the Friday before this last Friday. So, I don't know, 12 days ago, something like that. Right. It's been available for pickup for a couple of days. We'll pick it up today for service, get it to a private process serving group. Facebook will probably be served within the week as well as the other defendants. Then under Texas law, because this is filed in district courts for the state court. Texas. Uh, under under Texas law, they'll have 20 days the Monday following the file and answer. So roughly 30 days from now, if there's no comment before then, uh, we will know who Facebook's attorneys are. And they may or may not file a motion to remove to federal court. We'll be ready for all that. Uh, they may just answer in state court. But uh, that's the rough time frame for everybody to sit back and, and wait and see what develops. Is About 30 days from now, we'll have an answer and a, or a formal response to the petition um, uh, by Facebook and uh, hopefully by the other defendant as well. If, if they move this to federal court, how do you think that changes the dynamics of the case? You know, this is how it changes in a fundamental way. Under federal court proceedings, uh, I've practiced law 30 years, we attorneys like to say it's a front-loaded uh, system. What that means is this. Under federal court, within a relatively short time of the filing of, an, of a complaint, or in this case, a removed petition that becomes a federal court complaint, uh, within 90 days, so within a short period of time uh, from the filing, uh, there's a conference in which both sides are required to lay out a lot of data, a lot of information, documents, witnesses, information, etc. Um, state courts are different. State court requires formal discovery requests. We call them requests for disclosure in the state of Texas, which is there's a number of categories our Supreme Court said there's no objection. Who are all the potential parties that you see to this? Uh, have there been any settlement agreements reached? Um, uh, who are your expert testifying witnesses? Um, you know, pieces of information. You know, what is the summary of the claims and the economic calculations that get you to the damages? 
think that our Supreme Court says there's no objection because the gamesmanship of discovery and objections and privilege claims and all of that, our Supreme Court got uh, uh, tired about a number of years ago. In addition, we have requests for production of documents. Of course, we're going to be asking Facebook for a number of uh, sensitive and critical documents about their privacy uh, systems, let's call it, about their privacy processes, policies, and procedures, and staff, and personnel, and departments. I mean, it can't be the largest social network in the world, pretty much, and staff, you know, the complaint department with the limited staff, right? I mean, that's not right. Um, so we'll be getting into a lot of those issues, uh, their notice and their knowledge of other complaints that have come to their attention, whether they hit lawsuits or didn't hit lawsuits. All of that, in our mind, is relevant information and documents. So in the state court system, it's a little slower in the sense that you have formal requests, formal responses. Typically, there's 30 days given, and occasionally, and sometimes with some regularity, there are extensions extensions granted for good cause or upon request. So I like to tell clients, state court system, written discovery takes 60, 90, 120 days. Usually right. Pretty, whereas in federal court, you have to come to the table without formal request and, and, and basically play open and play fair to lay things out. And so that would be a big difference. Uh, and then beyond that, it's just the timelines to, to get to trial. Exactly. Uh, in, in state court, every case is pretty much required for a mediation, uh, structured um, settlement conference. Before sure. We only got a few minutes left. How is your client reacting to the press coverage of the lawsuit? Well, I, I mean, when the whole situation happened, she went from being quite sociable to, to being quite effective and quite withdrawn. Um, you know, I'm trying to keep her, obviously, as best as humanly possible with my years of experience in practicing law, all in litigation, pretty much, my years of... I'm certified as a mediator for a number of years, uh, which gets you extra classwork and extra education on psychology and communication and counseling. I've always prided myself heavily with my background in psychology and communication and, and the people science, as we like to call it, so I'm not a psychologist, of course, I'm an attorney, but a lot of attorney work involves psychological counseling of some sort. So I, I, would, I would say all things considered, she's holding up pretty well. She's bright. She's intelligent. Um, I'm doing my best. With She's also getting professional help, professional counseling, psychological sure. counseling to deal with we'll we're running out of time. If people want more information about um, you and the lawsuit, where should they go? Well, our particular website doesn't have a separate tab for this lawsuit, but may shortly. Uh, com will tell you a little bit about myself. I'm honored to have been one of uh, several authors in a collaborative book that came out July 18th called Share Your Message with the World, where I give some of my tidbits of life, if you will, on the chapter of 1,500 words. I'm very honored it became the number one, but one of the top bestsellers on Amazon.com, July 18th. And that's on my web. I, I'm not here to make a plug for that. I'm here to say, you may, well, get, a little to. <laughs> you may get a little insight into my brain, and I'm very honored. It's the first book I've been a part of in that way, and that's a very nice thing. 
Um, well, thank you. Thank you very much for you your know. time. It's been a pleasure having you. And, uh, you know, definitely we're going to be watching. Thing, only other thing I'd say is Google Facebook revenge porn lawsuit. And trust me, there are articles coming out, it seems like, every day that are analyzing this from a number of angles. And uh, I, I am very grateful for, and I, you know, the media attention, because we hope to honestly get some serious and positive change so that this sort of thing doesn't happen to anybody else and that people are protected when something like this happens and they request for it to come down and it actually does come down alright well thank you very much we have to really have to run but I want to thank you again and um, please stay in touch we'd like to hear more about the lawsuit um, today is the anniversary of the dropping of the atomic bomb in Hiroshima and um, a couple of days after that um, my aunt Marie turned 21 and this Sunday we'll be celebrating her 90th birthday and um, so here's to you Marie look forward to seeing you in Rhode Island and um, 90th birthday is quite an achievement so um, it may not be quite as uh, the big bang as your 21st but um, we'll see what we can do about that all the best um, to everyone I want to thank our guests and uh, join us next week on Cyberlaw Business Report we'll have another great show um, listen to us on iHeartRadio, download our mobile apps, and um, take us wherever you go. And this is Bennett Kelly, um, quarters adjourned. See you next week. And thanks again, Brasco, for all your help. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.